0: Welcome, everybody, uh, to the August 27th QPSC. As a reminder to all, in light of COVID and in accordance with government health and safety regulations which call for social distancing, this meeting is being again conducted in virtual format. There is no public uh, meeting space associated with this meeting. A couple of things for today's uh, agenda. Item E is an IOP discussion. If there is public comment around this issue we will integrate it into item E, which I estimate will occur around 4.15. And then for those of uh, uh, the the members who will be participating, our convention is after uh, roll call to go into closed session. There's a funny choreography on the closed session today, which is related to Zoom and the agenda items. So I I wanna inform those of you who will be involved in closed session, we're gonna choreograph it as follows. Uh, the first section will be uh, Dr. Baden, who is giving the chief of staff report. And we have a chief of staff committee, uh, which we'll talk about uh, as we go into the opening. Those will be the first people included in, uh, if you will, closed session one. Uh, in closed session two, we will uh, then open it up uh, to... Uh, uh, Our associate chief Chief medical officer, Dr. Twanavani, is in the room, as well as the representative. uh, I believe Dr. Kathy Pyun is going to be representing Alameda Hospital. And then in closed session three, we will then uh, invite Dr. Smith in. Actually, Dr. Smith will actually already be in the room, but there's another closed session item for that. We anticipate closed session to be roughly 30 minutes if I can keep it moving. So... Uh, so with that, for those of you, uh, you sort of have, you can, you can put us on hold. Uh, we're going to be gone for about 30 minutes talking about 1157 protected items. Again, that's the purpose of the closed session, to discuss confidential matters related to the medical staff accreditation or risk management. So if you're not directly related to one of those discussions, as I just alluded to, we will welcome you back approximately 335 or so. So with that, uh, I'll go to roll call.
1: Trustee Bouquet Here. Trustee Sheik Quinn is scheduled to be absent today, I believe. That and, is
0: correct. And Trustee Hernandez. Here. That is correct. We so do have a quorum. We do have a quorum. So with that, um, uh, General Counsel Moy, we're going to move into closed session. We'll see uh, the rest of you guys at approximately 3.30, 3.35. Yes, and the uh, closed session is for consideration of the credentialing reports, a uh, matter to be presented by legal counsel,
2: uh, yes, and matter
0: under evidence code section 1157. And, and uh, Council Moy, that will include the CEO, the CMO, general counsel, trustees, Dr. Baden, and the Chief of Staff Committee, correct, sir? That is uh, correct you have all the five names of our chief of staff committee
3: yes i do uh,
0: i want to welcome uh, all audience members to the august 27th uh, qpsc uh, we have a full agenda and uh, i've already stewarded us about 15 minutes behind we're going to try to catch up a little bit we're going to move through this agenda and for those of you who have come into the room i think the big uh, agenda item is item e which will be a discussion of the intensive outpatient program update that will occur probably around 4-15. If there's any public comment, we'll entertain it in that section, uh, and we will move forward with that. Um, the trustees present today are Dr. Hernandez and myself. Welcome to everybody. We have a chief of med- the medical staff committee acting in the stead of a uh, of the chief of staff position, which is currently unfilled. So with that, we'll move to item B, the consent agenda. May I entertain a motion to approve... Uh, the? Item B1, the minutes. Item, B- item, 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 item. item B2, uh, policies and procedures with comment, Dr. Tornabeni's probably in this room, removal of the UCSF perinatology telehealth policy, because that wasn't so supposed to be added. Item B3, the moonlighting policy and procedure, and item B4, approval of specialty privilege forms. She, I, I'm lip reading. Uh, Trustee Hernandez said, uh, "So move." I will second it. Um, um, now I'll open this up for dialogue. Any comments on policies, procedures, minutes, or the moonlighting policy, Trustee Hernandez? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, and also, we had five AHS new specialty privilege forms and two Alameda Hospital revised forms. So, uh, barring any other discussion, all in favor. Aye. Aye opposed none it's just the two of us abstention none uh, the consent agenda is approved that is item b we will now move into item c um, um uh, for those of you who are not uh, used to this qpsc this is the this is the chair's report i always uh, choose this as a um can everyone hear me will you raise thumbs i just got i just got a, my internet connection is unstable report um yeah. It, it, in um uh in this report we try to uh increase our learning together and we're, we 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 discuss articles which can help frame the quality discussion our organizational discussion i hope um uh you've had the opportunity to read it um there are two interviews included here pretty short two or three pages and the interviews are from amy edmondson so anyone who who reads the psychological safety literature knows that Amy Edmondson is probably the primary thought leader on this. She's a professor at Harvard Business School and she uh, is responsible for the team for coining this phrase, psychological safety. Uh, I find this to be a, a discussion of import for us uh, during these times and, and anyone who's had the context of recent, uh, recent uh, board meetings and just generally the general dialogue uh around uh, not only our organization but around the country uh i'm not going to take too much time here but i i often like to read uh, or, or or summarize a quote and then i'll open up for some brief comment and then we'll move along so in one of the interview questions uh, there was a question to to dr edmondson how can leaders create psychological safety amongst the people they lead and dr edmondson replied on one level this is simple But simple doesn't mean easy first set the stage create a shared understanding of the nature of the work we do and why everyone's input matters second having set the stage proactively invite input proactively ask questions directly of people what do you see in this situation most of us feel awkward when we're asked a question and we don't re- directly answer it. And that's, I think this is an important technique as to lobbying questions at people, uh, groups of people. And, you know, we know about group think and silence, but, but proactively extracting information from people. Third, respond with appreciation and not defensiveness. As, as Dr. Edmondson says, defensiveness can kill psychological safety pretty quickly. Uh, and, uh, She says, responding with appreciation doesn't mean you have to be thrilled with what that person just said. It means that you appreciate their courage to come forward with bad news or good and your perspectives in necessary service of improving the organization. It's important to note that psychological, she, uh, she goes on to say, it's important to note that psychological safety is a necessary, not a sufficient, a necessary condition for organizational success. Um I ask ourselves as an organization, where are we on the psychological safety continuum? And I'll just pose that question. Trustee Hernandez, you always have some thoughtful comment on this kind of thing. I'll open it up to, to participants in the room and then and then and then we'll and then we'll go.
4: Yeah, um, so Amy Edmondson is also a very big champion around this notion of measuring inclusion. In the workplace, with this construct of psychological safety, that can translate into a sense of belonging. And um, a couple of things that really stand out about some of her work uh, is just this idea that when you feel safe to be yourself, um, you kind of allow for the quirkiness, the you know eccentric stuff that um, sort of can be can define anybody. Um, to be part of the norm. It's okay that you're different, that you see things differently. And so you can well imagine that this has become, uh, for many companies and many organizations that are trying to create that culture of inclusion, this has become somewhat the gold standard. Um, it's no longer enough to just count bodies and say we have diversity. It's no longer enough to say, well, we have you know a fairly decent retention rate. Um, it is now important to ask, to what degree do you feel you belong and many of the questions that are part of her sort of assessment of measuring psychological safety are used for that Um, but 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 I do want to say one thing uh, that I I just have to reflect out loud Um, at the core of psychological safety is this ability to have very difficult conversations and still Come away as colleagues, as, um, you know, uh, professionals who may see something differently. And, you know, not to have a cancel culture inside the organization. And you all know what I mean by that. The social media experience being canceled is you say something and boom, you're out the door because you have said something that uh, even after apologies or, or efforts to forgive one another, that's still not enough. And so I challenge us to take this to Call that John. level. Uh, to what extent, to what extent do we have a, a culture that promotes belonging and fosters psychological safety? And at its core, you know, how professional are we in the way we disagree with each other? Um, we need to find that balance between having, you know, Uh, emotions blaze because we're really passionate about something and at the same time be able to come together and understand fundamentally that um, if we are silencing each other because we disagree, we have lost everything. Say it that way.
0: That's a good mic drop, Trustee Hernandez.
4: (laughs) Any comments?
0: Yeah. And any comments further, and I apologize, I can't see everybody's hands or anything like that. I, I, I'd say there there are leaders across all levels of this organization, myself included, uh, and and these are the things I think about uh, when I come into my unit and I ask them what's going on and, and how I respond to them and, and the like. Uh, so um, please read the interviews if you haven't. It, it it's an amazing TED talk, uh Amy Edmondson. If uh, and if Google Ted, Amy Edmondson, psychological safety done, watch it. Uh it it I, I, I find there to be a a tremendous amount of wisdom in her work uh for our for, for our organizations. I don't see any other hands going up, but I think there are I, a just
5: lot of- uh, trustee bouquet. This is the uh, sound. Dr. Yes. Yeah. um Well, thank you again for bringing this and uh, the words of Trustee Hernandez. You know, they are very, very powerful. Uh, I I just want to say, you know, the the balance and, and you know, the psychological safety core value is embedded into what we are trying to do. And I think it is aligned with what we are trying to do and balancing between accountability and psychological safety is is really extremely important. So uh, what... uh, what i want to say is uh like what we're trying to do with the just culture and the algorithm of the just culture what we are trying to do with uh, team steps with stopping the chain what we're trying to do with daily daily interactions and agreement and disagreement towards uh, delivering the safest and best care around the patient the patient's need uh, is 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 like in the core of this concept i just want to m- mention it i mean thank you for bringing it up and uh, and uh, and it's certainly a lot to think about with what we heard from yourself and Trustee Hernandez. Thank you,
0: Dr. J. Uh, I, I think her word, uh, uh, Dr. Edmondson's her words, I, I like to see it when it's a phrase I use. It's simple. It just ain't easy, right? Uh, this is hard, hard stuff walking that line. And, and, and us having the dialogue, I think, is important. So I appreciate your words, Dr. J. Um, with that, I'm going to close... Uh, item C, and we are going to move to item D. This is a medical, these are the medical staff reports. So I want to provide uh, a little bit of clarity. We have Dr. Baden standing in to represent this part of the report uh, for the core uh, for AHS and, and Dr. Pune. This is actually just a stopping point if there's anything that needs to be reported back. I want to remind you that you have an agenda item at the full Board of Trustees. We, so, so the history of this was that we'd have a lot of discussions with our our, our, our chiefs of staff uh, and you guys are representing them, and then that wouldn't necessarily migrate to the Board of Trustees. So I'm, this is just a stopping point. You can use it or not, uh, and then we can move. But remember, you have an agenda item at the full board uh, uh, level. Uh, Dr. Baden, are there any comments you need to make to us uh, on the QPSC?
6: No, I have no additional comments. Thank you.
0: Okay. Doc, Dr. Pyeon, um, are you on here? Sorry, there's probably. Dr. Pyeon, any comments from the Alameda Hospital?
4: Uh, no, they're not really, no. Okay. I mean, everything went well, and uh, there's really no new issues. Uh, just the, we are approving some Moonlighters uh, uh, residents who are ladder the edges of the residency. Uh-huh. and
0: and and as a reminder to the two of you remember uh it's a little bit reiterative but you have this agenda item at the full board of trustees and i'm also speaking to the chief of staff committee to, to as you're as you're learning how this how this stuff uh, kind of works with that we're going to close uh, item d the medical staff reports and move into what i regard as the meat of today's qpsc uh, today we're going to have a continued dialogue on the Intensive Outpatient Program, the IOP. Um, I am I made aware that there is no public comment. Madam Clerk of the Board, is this correct on this item? You are
1: correct, there is none.
0: Okay, so, so I'm gonna give a brief introduction on this. I am in full understanding of the passions and positions around this topic. Um, as such 30 minutes have been allocated to this discussion. That's 25% of our entire agenda. We've had a number of these discussions. I wanted to give us space because of these passions and positions. Uh, I've previously spoken to who I'm going to regard as the four subject matter experts uh, on this topic, who I'll introduce in a second. And the intention of this section, this item E is to explore the quality implications of this decision making. We're going to strive during these next 30 minutes to clinically dissect the quality implications of the IOP using the Institute of Medicine's construct for quality. And for those of you who haven't heard me chirp on, you probably uh, have not heard me talk about STEEP. And we're going to talk about the STEEP domains of quality. And that is going to be the tool on which I would like to guide this dialogue regarding the IOP. What is STEEP? steep is safety timeliness efficiency effectiveness equitability and and person-centered if you will that's both the patient and the provider and i would like us again to clinically dissect this question using that construct as our scalpel because i know there's been a lot of positions and it's really hard for a lot of people get their head around some of these discussions we are the quality committee we're going to talk about quality things related to this discussion our subject matter experts on this will be four i i if you will have two dyads set up here one is the dyad of, of dr tanuj siddhartha dr siddhartha are you on here yes i'm here excellent dr tanuj siddhartha is our chair of psychiatry and dr Paula babaria is our a uh, uh, physician here as well as the cao of ambulatory around which the IOP uh, falls under under our governance the other dyad will be Dr. Ron Seff. hi Dr. Seff. he's the medical director of the IOP and Dr. Chip Freed, who's the program manager for the IOP and we're we're, we're going to hopefully over the next uh 25 28 minutes or so have a discussion through the quality elements to help give some clarity to what has been kind of a murky discussion Trustee Hernandez, is this acceptable? Okay. Um, so, um, uh, Mike, I don't know if we need to let, I think th- theoretically so, we'll, we'll let the mics be on for Dr. Seth, uh, Dr. Freed, Dr. Siddhartha, and there's Dr. Babaria right there in the middle. Okay. So first element of, say, so I, I hope this, uh, everyone's clear on, on, if you will, the debate and dialogue that we'll have here. And of course, uh, we have our CEO in the room, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call on him should we have any other further discussion. Is that, is that appropriate, Mr. Finley? Wonderful. Okay, safety. Uh, a, a little bit of context for all the people in the room. A discussion has been made with regard to three options uh, uh, for the IOP. One is maintaining the IOP. Two was, uh, 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 if you will, dissolving the IOP and using a wellness center model. And uh, and item three, uh, sorry, option three is, if you will, kind of a hybrid of that. Dr. Barbaria, am I summarizing appropriately?
6: At a high level, yes. I think the only editorial I would add is both in models one and three that include the IOP, the proposed IOP is different than our current IOP model on a number of fronts that we discussed at the last QPSC meeting.
0: Okay, got it. Thank you for that. Apostle, uh, why I asked for your guidance. Dr. Wise, uh, sorry, I see you in the room. Thank you for being here, Dr. Wise. Um, um, so question, let, let, let's jump into Steve and dissect safety. Uh, I, I'm And, and I'll, I'll ask the questions if you guys don't mind and you can, <laughs> can, can, can respond. What are the safety implications of an IOP closure. How would care be executed for these approximately 200 some odd patients with serious medical illness? And if okay, I'm gonna start off with uh, uh, Dr. Sepp on this issue. Uh, Dr. Sepp, if you can make some initial comments to that specific question. Remember, we have a lot of things to talk about, but but I, I think you and I have spoken about how, 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 how I'd like to moderate this
3: dialogue. Right, right, I'd like to keep it, uh as brief as I can, um, but with regard to the safety issue, um, my concern, and I think the rest of the people in our, um, in our clinic um, is concerned that closing the IOP uh, or any kind of intensive outpatient program uh, for this population uh, ignores the severity of, of illness Uh, And it makes naive assumptions about the ease of treating uh, this level of psychopathology. Uh, Our IOP treats this absolute sickest fraction of a very chronically ill population. Uh, These are the people that are the most vulnerable to psychiatric decompensations, to suicidality, to homelessness, to incarceration, all due to their mental illness. Our objective in the IOP is to prevent those decompensations and rehospitalizations. Mm-hmm. We've had a very, uh, very good outcome in that regard, and I refer people to the uh, to the data study that we did, uh, just as example, which shows that uh, among a population of uh, a current sample of 82 patients that are currently enrolled in our program, we saved 9,500 hospital days. Uh, during their uh, during their tenure in our program, so, um, doctor,
0: so Dr. Seth keep it on safety. That might be about efficiency. Uh, the, uh, if you oh, know okay, that comes from. okay.
3: So, uh, so it, well, so I'm I'm only saying that uh, all of this requires a level of professional training and expertise and experience uh, and inter, intra-psychic savvy uh, that simply can't be accomplished by case management and wellness level of support um, so yes I absolutely do not think it is safe to take that uh, element of, of treatment out of the uh, out of the mix for this population
0: Thank you Dr. Siddhartha game on can you t- please tell me about your your comments with regard to uh, the safety of this uh, of potential decision making here right.
2: It's relevant to kind of think about what we are imagining when we are talking about the possibility of closing an IOP. So I'm just trying to put my, you know, I'll put on that hat and imagine, okay, if the decision is to close the IOP, then I would, uh, I I, I don't think there would be any option of closing it tomorrow, and that would not be advisable. But the general purpose of an IOP is a step down or uh, provide an intermediate stage uh, in the rehabilitation of a patient. A bridge between needing acute inpatient services to uh, some kind of independent living with minimal support in the community, right? So I would think that uh, we would we would uh, like to look at a three month, four month phase at least during which these patients are transitioned out. So you would, uh, and during that, and what they will be left with is a full service partnership, uh, which uh, is what is available in the county, what the county does. And the elements, the main elements of that is uh, a patient uh, uh, assigned a particular case manager who's available 24-7 for any supportive needs that arise or urgent needs. The different programs do it differently, but they provide outpatient therapy, outpatient medication management, and they have all connections to services in the community. So that's what uh, uh, you would end up with. So I would think that this, uh, I would be especially careful about the patients who have been here for a very long period of time and have been attending three times a week. Those are the ones that I would be concerned about. Mostly um, uh, their ability to uh, cope, you know, if they, if they, when they are transitioned and because they have to become so used to the program. So,
0: so Dr. Siddhartha, sorry, uh, apologies. Are, is it your uh, assertion that a phased uh, close down of IOP would not compromise the safety of these patients?
2: And I mean, again, not all. Oh, it would, I mean, so the question, I mean, the safety, so if I can, I mean, you know, safety as in, how do you mean safety? Uh,
0: do, is, is there, it, what, what is an option? I mean, I, I, one, one could imagine that, that uh, uh, not, uh, uh, to be crass, are we kicking 200 people to the curb?
2: Oh, no, so we have about, I think, the at the IOP level of care, you probably have about 150 across the two programs. Mm-hmm. No, we are not good. No, as I said, they're going to be, if we do this, right, mm-hmm. then it is, no, you cannot keep them to the curve. But full-service partnership, uh, you know, outpatient treatment is not going to keep them to the curve. It's a fairly standard treatment. Uh, now, IOP versus full-service partnership or, you know, some community, which is safer? Is there evidence to suggest one variant or the other, right?
0: Well, the, that'll I, be that'll be under efficacy. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the efficacy. So no, no
2: evidence for safety.
0: Okay, got it. Got it. Sorry, yeah. apologies. So I,
2: I don't. I. I'm not aware of any particular data, uh, which really compares like that. There okay. are problems with comparison. You know, I mean, it's these are, uh, the you you're able to better compare two interventions if they're very well defined and standard. Yeah. Uh, so, so you don't have that. So. If there is, um, does the literature say one is clearly better than the other? That is not the case. There are theoretical reasons to believe that both should work. But, and there is also clearly theoretical reason to believe that for a small subset of patients, at least for periods of time, the IOP might be better. Okay. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm discharging a patient from an inpatient or the PES, you know some of them because uh, what happens right now is that people who are in full service partnerships do come to the inpatient unit people who are in full service partnership do go to the IOP for periods of time so it's in a it's a it's a continuum of care right
0: of gr- of course yeah you yeah, th- these are gradations of safety right uh, but, but I can hope you understand where, what the calculus of our decision making here what we're trying to do here
2: yeah so uh, my contribution here is that it, you kind of have you know to to for a safety perspective i do not see this as gravely unsafe okay Great. I mean, if you right okay but you, you have to be careful you have to do it well i mean you know i do not like to catastrophize different options if there was some evidence to suggest one way or the other some catastrophic uh outcome that uh, the literature suggests mm-hmm. i would be concerned about that
6: Thanks. but
2: i can definitely say that confidently that if you close it tomorrow i would be worried about something Bad yeah. outcomes for a few patients.
0: Thank you, Dr. Siddhartha. Dr. Barbaria, can you comment where safety has been considered in the calculus of decision making?
6: Absolutely. So, you know, obviously, I'll defer to Dr. Seth and Siddhartha as the psychiatrist um, in terms of the clinical evidence. I think from an operational perspective, we are all, I think, in agreement and clear that absolutely a wellness center model of care will be insufficient for many of the IOP currently enrolled patients just by the sheer, you know, severity of their disease. So the plan would absolutely be that they then need to transition, um, you know, still would be welcome in the wellness center, but absolutely need to transition to a provider who can take care of the level of severity of illness that they have. So in our conversations with Alameda County, all of these patients are Medi Medi. many of them are already enrolled in county programs, but they're all eligible by virtue of having Medi-Cal for all of the county contracted programs as well as the county-run programs. So Dr. Siddhartha has mentioned full service partnerships. There's a host of different models. Um, so that they, you know, they've certainly committed that if we move in this direction, we would need to figure out for every single patient on a case-by-case basis what is their need, what is the appropriate program for them to transition into um, and to help make all of those linkages and handoffs. You know, obviously that process, I don't see it happening any faster than months. Um, So we would continue and need to continue to provide services until a safe transition plan was found. But, you know, you would imagine an analogy that my medicine brain can wrap um, my head around as an internist is, you know, if you had a hospital that you were shutting down, you would not just all of a sudden discharge every ICU patient to the street. You would find another ICU um, to take that patient and go through the transfer process. And this would be analogous.
0: Thank you, Dr. Barber. Dr. Fried. any comments on the safety domain we're talking about?
7: Uh, yeah, my, my main comments are that, um, due to the fact that our patients have Medicare and only, only less than 50% are currently involved in case management, they wouldn't be eligible for county services. And in fact, when I call Alameda County access and ask them, where would we send our Medicare patients? The access, uh, Alameda County says, well, we refer them to you. Uh, We have a relationship with county case management and full service partnerships where they have routinely over the years uh, referred all these high-risk patients to us, which is why we're treating them. So there is no comparable service for our patients, certainly the most severe in the county, as far as the intensity of treatment. Because due to the fact that they have Medicare and due to the fact that they are Um, as acutely ill so the county is relying on us and we're the only program in Alameda County that takes care of the Medicare uh, the many many folks who have this level of severity
0: so so can can someone walk me through let's case scenario there there's a homeless person who is uh, a danger to themselves they have serious mental illness and EMS picks them up walk me through that Dr. Barbaria can you walk me through that
6: yeah, in terms of, like, where they would go, or... Yeah,
0: it, should there not be an IOP?
6: Yeah, I mean, I, Tanuj, maybe I'll have you do this one, because okay. I imagine they all end up at John George, but I'll let you... Yeah,
2: so uh, so I guess numbers are important here, Dr. Buketna. The, so how many, I, how many 5150s are written every day, right, in Alameda County? Yeah. My guess is about 70 to 80. How I get to that number is about 35 come to John George PES every day. So then the others would end up in different places and, you know, but, uh, at least 50 a day, right? Okay. So there are 50 now. Out of these 50 a day, that would be about 1,500 a month, right?
0: Yeah.
2: How many of those 1,500, uh, 5150s currently in their path go through the IOP? Mm. I don't know. I would say about Dr. Fried, it'll be about five.
6: Yeah, when mm. we've looked at the enrollment data, you know, I think it was one a month was being enrolled from John George into
2: our right. IOP Right, so, program. you know, but that's, you know, some uh, some, people, some people go from John George to some other site and then they reach the IOP. Mm-hmm. The number of intakes into IOP at this time, or recently has been, two combined has been about 10 per month, right? But not in the, uh, so out of them, how, how many were transitioned or how many, how many were on a 5150 moved straight to the IOP instead of going to inpatient. That number is probably one or two a month, right? Okay. So, when I mean, so the, the, the impact of the 5150 diversion process, that's the impact.
0: Okay. Uh, Dr. Seth, any comment on that, on that statement?
3: Uh. <laughs> that two a month is actually quite low, uh, and that in the, in the past, 50% of our uh, admissions have come directly from, uh, from John George, uh, and it's more on the order of five to 10 uh, per month.
2: Um, that, yeah,
3: We can go with five to 10, and, so that's the impact. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Uh, Siddhartha and I have been working directly on currently uh, is how to bring that current number back up to what it used to be, uh, of five to ten per month. I much appreciated Dr. Harth is uh, helping us to uh, raise our profile with the, uh, uh, with the inpatient doctors so that uh, they do uh, resume uh, referring those people to our program. That's what we are there for uh,
2: and, and what we are able to do so so, yes. so recently that has been happening
0: yes. m- many of these points which is the challenge of uh, of these dialogues are crossover points i'm going to take us off safety right now and move and transition us t is timeliness i'm sort of i'm going to put this one sort of in the lesser one so we're going to for, for sake of this discussion we're, we're really kind of talking about about a combination of efficiency and equitability to here so i'm going to bundle these two together because we're we, we sort of on trade into this dialogue. Um, it, it, it's it's my understanding and again uh, uh, I am not a behavioral health expert that, 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 that the IOP does not serve the Medi-Cal population in its current iteration and 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 Dr. Barbaria uh, in her SBU report which follows which could be wrong, actually brought up some if you will disparity racial data and now I've heard about some uh, uh how many of these 5150s actually come into the IOP. so i would like to now uh kind of to to consolidate these facts uh and true or not true with regard to the equitability and efficiency um uh dr Siddhartha, I'll, I'll give you the floor for right now for the next two minutes and if you can comment on that
2: the, the equitability data i think palav has uh, you know plus oh, Then i'll give it to i'll give it to dr babaria yeah
6: um, maybe, uh, Trustee Bouquet, since I do have a slide of the equitability data that was in my QPSC report for ambulatory, would it be helpful to share that now?
0: If, if you can execute a screen share, uh, then go
6: for it. Okay. I'm going to ask whoever's moderating the meeting, uh, which may be Mike to if it's... you can just give me control of the screen, I can do that.
0: While we're working on this tech aspect, can you, can you you can we comment on the medi uh, uh uh statement is this true
6: yes so in current state a requirement to participate um requires either i believe you take some private insurance but mostly the patients to be have medicare many of those also have Medi-Cal, but okay. the program currently does not accept any patients with Medi-Cal only or hvac okay can Could
3: i respond
7: I,
6: to that
3: yes dr south that makes it sound as though we are prohibiting uh, those people from coming into our program. And that is uh, absolutely untrue. We would love to provide services for them, but I think Dr. Uh, Dr. Freed might have some information about why it is that way. Uh, it has nothing to do with our preference at all. We would love to serve the Medi-Cal population but my understanding is that the county uh, currently will not pay for Medi-Cal patients to come to the IOP. Uh, Dr.
0: Freed, could you clarify? Uh, Dr. Babri, in the meantime, work on, if you don't mind, getting up a, a data set for our eyeballs. And uh, Dr. Freed, the floor is yours.
7: Yeah, that's, that's correct, Dr. Um, um Alameda County, uh, uh, when we have asked them about paying for the Medi-Cal, uh, patients, they have said they have said no. They they will not pay. It's not not part of their policy to pay for uh, Medi-Cal uh, for uh, IOP treatment, in spite of the fact that the state of California Medi-Cal does pay for IOP treatment. So our our particular county, and that's not true in all counties. Counties have a choice as to whether or not they will fund IOP level services. Uh, Santa Clara County funds it. San Francisco County funds it. Uh, uh, fresno county funds it so it's it's a county choice to pay for iop level services it's never been our choice we've always been open to having uh, people from um uh, the medi-cal uh, insurance group and, and other groups uh, in addition to medicare um have access to our our services uh so, Doc, um,
0: so thank you dr three, three your nods on this so is it, it, it uh, trying to summarize is it accurate to say that that the medicals are excluded not because of our choosing, um, but, but because of the circumstance we are under which we are based on our county's decision. Is that correct? Correct, correct. And, but uh, uh, the unfortunate consequence is they are still excluded, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, Dr. Babria, if you can quickly walk us through the slide. And again, we're trying to think about equitability, caring, teaching, healing, serving all, that's our mission here in this organization. Can you can you walk us through what this data is?
6: Absolutely, and this is, um, you know, data that I believe at our last QPSC meeting was requested by our trustees. So it was pulled from Epic. A few of the caveats that I will list is it was pulled from Epic from Slicer Dicer. And so these numbers include all the total number of patients Seen in the program in Epic, it does not reflect currently enrolled patients. Um, I was unable to get access to that granularity of data, um, so it's not a current snapshot, but it is an aggregate snapshot since our Epic go live last September. Um, you'll also see, which we'll get to, you know, clearly some of the demographic data, you know, such as gender, where you know we're just missing data sets, or issues with user error and how some of this demographic data was being captured, but for our race and ethnicity and age demographics, um, that stuff was available. And then the homeless status, which I'll get to in a second, was provided by the managers of each of the IOPs. So this does reflect the currently enrolled population, not an aggregate from Epic Go Live because of the way our Epic system captures homeless status.
0: Dr. Um, Barbaria, I apologize. Uh, There's a lot of data on this slide. Yep. Can can you, you, uh, and again, from your perspective, give us your sort of summary assessment vis-a-vis the question of equitability from the data you're presenting.
6: Absolutely, so I think, you know, in terms of equitability and access, um, let's start at this side because I think it's just a little bit easier. Just numerically, you know, you will see the number of patients in the Fairmont and Highland IOP are a small percentage of the total population we're seeing at John George. I didn't put the insurance data on this, but we've included it at previous QPSC meetings. And so just as a reminder to folks, about 30% of the patients admitted to John George have Medicare. Um, On our wellness center side, about 15% of the patients have Medicare. The rest are all a mix of Medi-Cal and HPAC. And so just keep those numbers in mind as we look at this. Um, so, obviously, you know, the age range you will see our IOP programs serve a much lo- older age population than what we're seeing at John George, which is not surprising because of the insurance for Medicare. Um, that tends to skew older than our Medi Cal population, which is likely largely covering the younger age groups. The gender, as I said, I would ignore because I think this is user errors with the accuracy. Um, The information that we were provided around homeless status that I know had been requested at the trustees is that currently there are two patients who have been experiencing homelessness in the Fairmont program and five at Highland um, neither none of those were homeless at point of entry into the program but developed homelessness subsequent to enrollment and are being supported by the teams um, it did not seem like there were any patients who were enrolled if they were homeless at the time of enrollment and also reporting from the managers is that for the patients of a primary substance use disorder those patients are um, transitioned to to more appropriate venues for treatment, you know, including our own SUD where they can receive care. In terms of the race and ethnicity demographics, you know, again, the numbers are a small percentage of John George. Um, you'll see that at our Fairmont program, there are proportionately more Caucasian patients being served um, than what are being hospitalized at John George Psychiatric Hospital at Highland, slightly less so um, than what is currently being hospitalized at John George. In terms of Black or African-American patients, again, our Fairmont program is seeing considerably fewer Black or African-American patients compared to the percentages being hospitalized at John George, whereas our Highland site is seeing more Black or African-American patients than what are proportionately being seen at John George. Um, In terms of our Hispanic population, similarly, you you will see for other Hispanic, both programs are seeing fewer patients than those who are being hospitalized at John George based off of pure demographic data. Um, and then the Mexican split out here, less so at Highland than what the percentage is at John George. Okay.
0: So, so on my back of the napkin, it, it looks like there, there might be some, dis, there, there's variance in, in, in the populations amongst us. Dr. Freed, can you comment? Does this data jive with your experience? And I, I know you're remarkable at the analytics on your side of the house. Does this drive with uh, Does this dataset jive with what your experience is?
7: Uh, yeah, basically, um, that is true. There is a, 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 a less um, a less high, a less rate of uh, African American in uh, Fairmont versus Highland, um, uh, in, and also in comparison to John George. Um, so that this is accurate
3: got it. Talk to me about Can them. I add um, one other element of, to that? Of, of course, Dr. Seth, please. Uh, the two sister IOP programs, Highland and Fairmont, uh, serve different uh, catchment areas. Uh, and our catchment areas each have a much different population. Highland is located uh, in central Oakland. We're in San Leandro. Uh, the People that live within our catchment area fit into that demographic that um, that is on this slide. Um, It without considering that uh, it once again gives the appearance that we are somehow uh, being selective about who comes into our program uh, and not opening it up to everyone. It's just patently untrue. Okay. Uh, we, our program is open to anyone uh, who is clinically in need of our services. So, again, I, and I don't know the de- demographics of the location. So
0: your assertion is that this is representative of the patient population of the local environ-
7: environment? I assume so, yeah. Okay. Yes, we, we provide transportation to the Fairmont campus from the Oakland-San Leandro border to the Fremont-San Jose border.
0: Dr. Barbaria, your comment on that
6: point? I have to say, I don't have a, you know, I was asked to provide data, so I'm, yeah. I'm pulling this. I, I definitely am not trying to make any assertions or allegations about it, The the data right. is the data. I don't have geographic distribution data of the patients in terms of what zip codes these patients are living in and what the local racial and ethnic breakdown is of those zip codes. It's definitely something we can look into if that's of interest to the trustees, okay. Okay. but I don't know got
8: it all right trustee because i i apologize for interrupting i i i oh, apologize a real quick question that um, strikes me here are the patients screened and then referred to one of the programs um based off of geography I, i'd just be curious about that or are they screened separately
3: they're screened when they are referred to us in terms of which of the two programs uh, they live in uh, which of the two catchment areas they live in
8: that's that's what I'm asking so when yeah. are they referring through a central repository and somebody determines uh which one they are considered for based off of where they live that 's what I'm would try
3: be more efficient, but uh, the way it's done now is is simply uh, a referral is made say from uh from the inpatient unit of john George uh one of our uh clinical um, Admissions, folks goes up and interviews the patient, and that's one of the bits of uh, information that they're going to find out is uh, which of the two programs are they going to? Uh, Delvecchio. Go
0: to. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. No. That's no. 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 And, and, no Del Del Delvecchio. I'm, I'm I'm gonna ask. I'm asking you to help me out on this. Mm-hmm. i don't understand the context of the question, probably just because i don't understand. Can you tell me why the i, I don't understand it
8: oh i was it was just a follow up based off of the additional context that perhaps uh, uh, this is this this uh, this, uh variation in the um, um, ethnic makeup of the population may be more an artifact of geography than it is uh any sort of um uh, underlying um, um, uh, trigger or cause for it. And so I was yeah. wondering I um, was trying to understand if the process uh, would, would bear that out if, if patients were, when they were referred, if someone kind of uh, knew that we had two programs and said, you live in this zip code, i.e. Oakland or closer, yeah. so I'm going to refer you here. No, it's based simply on, on geography.
7: And and to, I might add that we talk to patients and they do feel comfortable, more comfortable having treatment in the geographic area that they live, that is, um, patients would like to be closer to home and, um, and getting treatment rather than farther away.
0: Okay. Dr. Siddhartha, any comments on this, on this issue? Again, we're talking about the equitability lens. And, and as we're coming to time, our next comment, we're going to talk about efficacy. What's the efficacy data on an IOP from a clinical point of view? Dr. Siddharth, on this on this comment about equity, on, on this section about equitability?
2: No, no more comments, no. Okay.
0: All right, let, let, let's move on to the other E, which is, uh, sorry, which is efficacy. Did someone raise their hand that I missed?
4: It's me. No. It's me. Um, Marla, oh, yes. Yes. Just, just a question. I'm trying to understand a little bit of this data as well, and just yep. a thought. Um, is there any, perhaps in the future you could tell us, any, uh, indication how many of the patients are referred through our criminal justice system, through Alameda Sheriff, police, Oakland Pol- police, and so on?
7: We, we do get referrals from the criminal justice system. We have a, uh, a relationship with the county court advocacy program, which seeks to uh, reduce the mentally ill folks in our uh, Santa Rita Jail. Uh, we also have a, uh, a relationship with the uh, ConRep, which is the state that uh, is trying to get uh, mentally ill people into treatment rather than in prison, um, and so um, that we've had that for uh, more than a decade.
4: Yeah, the the reason I bring that up is many many years ago, doing uh, research on. Um... Uh, One factor that I think we need to be aware of is uh, people of color who intersect with the criminal justice system who are mentally ill often just go to prison, go to jail, don't get the kind of treatment that we know they need. And so it's possible that these rates are somewhat influenced by uh, current practice within the jurisdictions where the patient is found. Um, and it would be just interesting to understand if that might be a factor because um, uh, it, it, I'm just looking at just the representation of Latinos, for example, is really low um, uh, relative to the presence in the population. So I'd be curious what um, you have found in terms of Santa Rita jail uh uh, residents or uh, uh, detainees in terms of those you think would need this service. So that, that may be where they're going, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. I had
2: a comment about that. That's a very nice observation, very uh, relevant one. What I know about that is that, that the Latino population, has worked in jail before, mm-hmm. and uh, the main difference, even in a jail, the Latino population does not seek out mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. And it is, so that I think is a significant factor, but this other angle that you're talking about is that, I mean, they end up going to jail, you know, and there's that would, because they wouldn't, they're not likely to say that I'm hearing voices asking me to hurt myself. Uh, Yeah, I think that could be.
0: Guys Uh, coming a little little bit out of order because we're unfortunately coming close to time. I wanna talk about what I think consider one of uh, all these issues equitability, efficiency, safety, of course. Let, let, let's talk about efficacy. And I mean, not, not operational business efficiency. Uh, I guess my question goes to clinical efficacy. Is there data which suggests that an IOP model is a superior model? It's been, uh, uh, there's been a prior, uh, assertion might be the wrong word, that the, the, the IOP in its current iteration might be an archaic model. It might be an outmoded model. There aren't very many other models of that in California. Um, I'd like some comment on this particular issue because to kind of clarify these principles, I'll I'll go to Dr. Seth first.
3: Yes, thank you. I wonder if it would be possible to take off the demographic data um, screen so that I can see everybody there. Excellent, thank you. Um, Well, yeah, we've heard this criticism uh, that IOP is an outdated Uh, outmoded model or that it is an archaic model or something and I'm just baffled by that. Uh, What is an outmoded model or an archaic model is one that says that, uh, for instance, schizophrenia is not a treatable illness. This is the way psychiatry was when I started my practice uh, uh, in the early 1980s. Uh, The the um, the assumption was made that that these this is an untreatable population uh, all you can do is contain them or house them uh and um and then put them in the hospital uh when they get acutely ill um, well, our program assumes the exact opposite uh that these are eminently treatable uh that it requires of course a high degree of of professional skill and uh and technical uh expertise to treat that uh, to treat that group um just as example one of the um uh, one of the most immediate um, uh impositions to effectiveness of of treatment is that our patient population is one uh, for whom a primary symptom of their disorder is a disbelief that they have a disorder so our treatment has to take that um uh, in in essence a refusal to be treated and gain their uh, gain their trust gain their acceptance gain their participation in treatment that requires uh, a degree of expertise that you're just not going to be able to see uh, in, a, in a wellness model. I'll give you one other example of where it is, a, a case example uh, that I think illustrates the point. Um, I have, I've had two patients in the past year in the IOP program uh, who have rapidly developed strong, delusions, I mean, paranoid delusions about their FSP case managers. One thought that the FSP was run by a ring of pimps and prostitutes, and that their objective was to get her uh, put out on the street. So whenever they would try to do their job uh, to involve themselves with that patient, uh, she would uh, lock her doors, scream and holler, and even call the police on them. We worked with that patient to get her to trust first us and take our uh, our direction as uh, as reliable and trustworthy, and we worked to transfer her trust in us over to the FSB program uh, that she was work- working with, so that eventually she could benefit from those services. But these are the these are very common. Uh, Treatment dilemmas that come up in this patient population. Uh, this is not simple.
0: Uh, absolutely, which is which is the point, Doctor Siddhartha, Can you comment on the IOP model as uh, with regard to clinical efficacy versus the full service partnership slash wellness model, which which uh, I, I I think is being proposed.
2: Uh, the uh, if you look at the literature, there is no comparative data that I, I'm aware of that I could find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the question is, what is the outcome that you're talking about that you're comparing on theoretically, theoretically, or if you ask for my professional opinion, I think there is, uh, significant there is relevance to an IOP probe. I don't I don't know who said it was archaic per se. I think what we what has been asserted before is that the, uh, the and the counties have gone away from this, right? Mostly. But that the IOPs are archaic is not, uh, at least I have not as asserted it. So IOPs have relevance, but what IOP, right? So The model of the IOP as a step-down unit, right? Uh, a partial hospitalization program with the length of stay of 30 to 90 days, something like that, that is the model which has significant relevance even now. If you go to look, if you want to go find data to assert that, I won't be able to actually even assert that. But I think there is relevance uh, and, you know, there are several programs going on, not with the medical population, but, uh, you know, like Kaiser recognizes, it, right? So, so that is so, but uh, there is a significant difference in uh, what we are doing compared to what that, uh, uh, actually, you know, the model of IOP is. Uh, Full service partnerships, again, uh, the you know without getting into too much detail the the data uh for all of this that you can really uh read and say you know this is very this guidance in one direction or the other is like it. but i I don't think that there is any uh a, you know, you knowlent stay of a year or two uh as your uh, as the model that becomes a containment program, right
4: yeah so
2: that is not what you would read when you I'm sorry, about- I,
3: I, I didn't hear that. Uh, Dr. Siddhartha, could you repeat that?
2: What I mean is that the if your length of stay is more than a year, right? Uh, that is not the same thing as the IOPs that we would be talking about. No, I understand that. Yeah, that's what I-
0: Do- Dr. Seth, can you give me some of your closing comments in, in 30 seconds or so on this discussion?
7: Uh-huh. I, I'd, I'd I'd like to make a few points if we're going to close on. on... Uh,
0: so, so, Dr. Free, go, the floor is yours for the next minute or
7: so. Okay, so I want to make four or five points on this last uh, topic of of um, IOPs being outmoded. Number one, um, it's hard to con- it's hard to compare an IOP level service to um, FSPs and wellness centers because it's a different treatment model number one. Number two, um, as indicated in the handout, there's more than 50 IOPs functioning in Northern California, along with the 55 Kaiser programs. There's 105 IOPs functioning in Northern California. The viewpoint of the behavioral health uh, division of the California Hospital Association is that there are not enough IOPs in California, that there is a need, a significant need for more uh, the research article that is in in the, in the handouts uh, gives you plenty of research background over 40 years to substantiate the need for IOPs. Additionally, other counties in California are recognizing the need for IOPs as a, as, a, as a significant treatment gap between inpatient care and uh, wellness centers and FSPs. Last point is Alameda County Mental Health Advisory Board is now recommending. To develop IOPs for their medical population in Alameda County. Okay.
8: Sorry, can I? Can I? I, I know we're wrapping up here, and I, I, I think it's very one important thing that needs to be uh, uh, clarified here. So the the context we've discussed is really framed around. Uh, IOP and what it versus a uh, wellness model I think what we have to understand is the context of the wellness model actually looks at two ends of this continuum so the IOP certainly um, the the conversation should and I think has appropriately been looking at what then can be either some combination or suite of services that would be an alternative the wellness model concept was also uh, um um being explored and touted to look at we have a host of patients who are mild to moderate who are getting little to no access uh, mostly a no because of the uh, limited dearth of resources in the community and I don't want to compare kind of uh, relative urgency of need or gravity of need uh, but I think uh, what, what we're what we're sort of, if I were to take Dr. Barbaria's analogy earlier and say, you know, if you if you, as a system and you think about this from equity or even from uh, um, uh, some of the other steep uh, uh, criteria, you would say, you know, if you're only at the bleeding edge of this, which I think uh, for AHS is fair to say, without having a really robust uh, set of services, we're only taking care of the most critical patients and we're not, uh, we're effectively not participating at all in facilitating access or equity for a whole host of other patients. I mean, we talked about, you know, increasing the numbers of IOP caliber and necessary patients to go from John George to the IOP, maybe back up to that number. But that number was on the magnitude of uh, uh teens, right, Uh, five to ten, versus what we said were 1,500 patients a month going into John George. So I think we are really missing a huge swath of the discussion here, which is what is our role in providing a level of behavioral health that keeps people from getting to IOP level of need? And I worry that if we just stay at this level or this conversation ends with just thinking about this, we have missed a big portion of why there's a motivation for a wellness center model. And and, and I I say
0: this this, uh, uh, this does go to equity, right? We can put this under equity when we do that quality. Uh, Dr. Sepp, closing comment?
3: Yeah, I, I just want to say that um, I actually completely agree with Del I, uh, uh This has been a, a longstanding issue. Um, and uh, with that in mind, what has always made the most sense to us uh, is option three, the one that includes an IOP Portion, uh, which allows for treatment of those people who are most unstable uh, or most uh, disturbed and problematic uh, or at highest risk, but which also encompasses all the other levels of severity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see no reason why that should not be a part of it uh, to have it an either or throws out an, a very um a a group that needs the services Uh, so uh to dr siddhartha's point about uh, length of stay we're entirely able uh and willing and certainly have uh in the past uh created uh, shorter length of stay Uh, now hopefully if there were a wellness center uh nearby We would we would move our people back and forth between them. We would step them down or step them up uh, as their clinical need uh, um, occurred. Thank you, Dr. Seth. Dr. Siddhartha that close.
2: Yeah. uh, The the only thing that I would uh, like to just uh, remind everybody is that when we talk about the wellness center model, right? uh, What when I have been at least referring to it is in the is based on the model that we have proposed, right? Mm. Uh, and not how the county runs it at this point of time. That bare bones model is not going to serve the need of the acute. It's the, the relevance is the acute mentally ill, not the severely mentally ill, right? So the that is not going to serve the purpose of the acute mentally ill. And that is what we deal with, actually. Our system, I mean, it, it just has a very big... Uh, Footprint in the community with treating of the acute dementia.
0: Contextualizing all this, of course, is our our dire financial circumstance. Uh, You know, uh, I was talking an analogy with uh, a a friend of mine uh, the other day, and actually even today. Um, If we had five hundred, I'm making this number up. If we had five hundred patients who were in San Francisco and we needed to move them to Oakland, and we had $500,000 hundred thousand five hundred thousand dollars to do it you know we can we can buy 50 buses or we can buy five Bentley's uh, and uh, you know and we, we have to move a volume of patients here this is what an extraordinary challenge that we're under and it, it, uh, uh, what I want to say to the IOP uh, uh, all who are interested in the IOP, I don't think the system is challenging the the one on one clinical care. Uh, what I want to do is be very emphatic about that. Uh, the, the burden of decision making is, is is on this administration and 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 uh, under advisement of the board of trustees. I want to remind everybody: this is not a voting item for the board of trustees. This is actually the board of trustees is hearing this, and and the actions related to this. Will actually be born out of the budget, which actually comes out of the finance committee. And I'm not, I don't mean to kick that can down the road because I'm on the finance committee with Trustee Shaquinn, who's now joined our conversation. My job is to in—I see it as my job is to do my best to inform all of the players here on our circumstance and and our best case analytics. And you know, as I train my young doctors, I tell them the enforcement circumstances sometimes we only have 60% of the data and we still got to make a decision that person's bleeding or that person's coding. I got to make a best guess. Mm-hmm. And this is a horrible circumstance for the organization. And I don't want that to be lost, uh, in, in this dialogue. Um, I really appreciate Dr. Sepp's wisdom and knowledge on this. Dr. Freed's mm-hmm. knowledge and wisdom on this, as well as, uh, uh Dr. Babaria and uh, Dr. Siddhartha. um, um I don't know where we go from this on next. Uh, I think the Board of Trustees will be conferring with, with Delvecchio, with Mr. Finley on this, on, on next decision-making. And I think I, 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 I want to make sure that I've done my best to help bear out the elements of the dialogue. Safety is one better than the other for safety. Timeliness is one more effective than the other, or is there an absence of that data? Efficiency goes to cost, and you know we we really haven't fully talked about the cost data which exists to, with relation to the IOP. That's for the finance committee to talk about. Efficacy, I think that's a really really big one that we're just talking about. And what is the most patient centered? Uh, you know, is it is it patient centered to not offer services to blank amount of patients because we have to? Basically, it's an ambulatory ICU for the, for these patients who are severely ill, and who need the best care. So with that, I'm, I'm gonna close out this dialogue item and we're a little bit in bonus time. I, I really appreciate everyone's contributions here is what I, what, what I will say. We're gonna close item E. Um, we'll go into item F. Uh, this is the SBU report. Dr. Babari, I'm gonna beg your indulgence here. You submitted a very nice written report. Um, it actually addresses many of the, uh, because IOP sits under here, there's a little bit of redundancy and i'm going to beg your indulgence and say can we accept this report as written and then i'm going to give you uh, uh, an opportunity to give me 30 seconds of highlights should you need us to to, to give any uh, the floor is yours i'm
6: going to share just a few slides and i promise i'll talk fast so that this can be 30 seconds
0: okay um and i hate 30 seconds for all of it it's it's, it's, it's fine
6: it's, i think all trustees all of you have the written report um, at your leisure, uh, which I know there is very little time for you, but there, I put in a bunch of appendices in terms of our ambulatory playbook to provide safe care during COVID-19, which includes all of our ambulatory specific policies and procedures to help ensure that we are keeping each and every staff member and provider safe during this pandemic, as well as our patients. Um, so just if you have any questions about that or how we're training or rolling it out, be assured there. are our town halls, mock drills, where we run through, you know, patient scenarios with people working in the clinics to make sure that everyone knows what to do in a variety of situations. Um, the other thing to just get on your radar—I showed this slide last time—and that, you know, there is clearly a wave of mortality that we're seeing. I was in clinic this morning, and I'm already seeing it. You know, my patients who have lost family members who are suffering from worsening mental health issues um, due to the pandemic, the socioeconomic impact. Um, having MIs because they ran out of their meds and didn't feel safe leaving the house or reaching out to get them. And so we've started to see worsening chronic disease, worsening mental health burden, and are actively taking steps to address it. So, you know, as we plan for telehealth, we're creating protocols for robust outreach, wraparound care, expanding to video visits, using Epic integrated technology for patient outreach via text um, in multiple languages because we know that our current systems that are only in English and Spanish are insufficient for our patient population. Uh, My chart, we recently got a $100,000 grant um, through CHCF and we are through CCI, and we're going to be also advocating for tech advocates who can help our patients to really help bridge the digital divide and access care during this arena. Flu season is coming up. We are terrified about the concurrent pandemics of flu and um, COVID and are scheduling sort of curbside vaccination drives, closing gaps in care and specific outreach, especially to our pediatric populations who have missed some of their preventive vaccines, as well as having multiple PDSAs and quality improvement projects for patients who are complicated, vulnerable, and suffering from chronic diseases so that we can proactively outreach and get those patients back into care. Um, Because, you know, waiting for the patient is clearly having a significant negative impact in terms of joint commission readiness, we are having daily huddles. Our director of nursing, Steve Kilgore, um, does quizzes where people get prizes for guessing what the errors are and doing sweeps. And so we've seen so much progress. We are still nitpicking, um, but on my weekly roundings, you know, we are not finding the big things that we had. And if the worst thing I find is that someone put something in a biohazard bag, we've come a long way from where we were um, a year ago. And then I think, you know, just in closing comments, you know, Trustee Bouquet, thank you for guiding us through a really thoughtful discussion of the IOP program. You know, I also want to acknowledge that we, our entire organization is in a tough place. And, you know, you always ask me what keeps me up at night. And I think the challenge is really the question you put forward. You know, can we afford the Bentley? Do we have to settle for the public buses to transport these patients, even though we all know the Bentley is better? And, you know, when we talked about the demographic data and especially some of the racial and ethnic differences you know I think the one thing that I will call out which we all have to grapple with these days is we know there are inequities in our society and you know the, certainly I think the program provides amazing care to our patients but we suffer from those inequities so when we know that Medi-Cal is disproportionately black and brown And we know that patients who are suffering from substance use in our communities are disproportionately black and brown. And we know that the homeless patients in our community are disproportionately black and brown. You know, how do we grapple with that? Our HPAC population, which is almost, you know, entirely comprised of undocumented immigrants who are overwhelmingly um, of Hispanic ethnicity, and we don't have a program that can serve those patients. That is what keeps me up at night. Um, And so I don't know how we get into a future state, but I certainly, from a historic moral and ethical perspective, absolutely believe that if we are gonna achieve our mission of serving all, we need a future state that truly serves all.
0: Thank you, Dr. Barbaria. Um, With that, we will close item F. Item G, um, uh, Darshan Graywall, our System Director of Patient Safety, and Nilda Perez, our System Director of Regulatory Affairs, um, ladies, I uh, always, I, I, hate shortchanging you and, uh, because you do such good work. So we're going to go into bonus time so you can give us, uh, and then I'll eat crow. Cause, uh, our CEO said I needed more time and I was trying to get it under. So we might have to adjust timing on this. So, um, Nilda, Darshan, are you available? Uh,
1: I'm available, Dr. Kent. Um, I can do, I can give you a three minute. Regulatory Affairs update, how's Boy, oh, yeah,
0: I would love three minutes if you Okay, know.
1: fantastic. So, um, as you know, we continue monitoring uh, the plan of correction for our Joint Commission Resurvey. Uh, I, the good news, um, and that I want to share in tremendous work that has resulted that 94 of the metrics that we've been monitoring are now moving to the sustainability phase, meaning that they've been at goal consistently for four months. And so that's going to allow uh, their goal performance, which is a, a wonderful achievement. Um, that's going to allow us to focus regulatory affairs to focus on the 17 percent, the remaining metrics that have not been able to demonstrate that consistent performance. Some people have fallen out one month in a row, or maybe they've fallen out in one, one or two months consistently, so consecutively. So we're going to focus with that group. We've already set up a communication meeting with that group, um, and we will be focusing on a deeper analysis. Of the data for any fallouts that are related to those metrics that are having some difficulty um, meeting goals, and then we will do some risk certification of the ones that are also not meeting goals to just determine how we can prioritize our efforts. And we will be communicating with them on um, some uh, recommendations that we have for immediate remediation, um, and then engaging the as needed, uh, to assure we get them um, moving in sustainability as as the
0: others have and um that's it now the tough question and you always are not afraid to ask the tough questions i'm going to ask it i've already asked it before are we ready for the joint commission's return
1: i think we've seen a little bit of slippage in some consistent error in some consistency in some key processes um, that we need to shore up but i do think we have um everything in place to be successful it always comes down to execution so one of the things that I didn't mention, but since you're allowing me this time, is that we're going to be doing some mock surveys with the uh, with the frontline folks and getting them, you know, putting them through the paces and getting them used to that how to perform in the moment. So, and some KSAs and other additional tools will be coming out.
0: Nilda, can you remind this body and, and the people in the room about the timing, anticipated timing, and a brief choreography on how many days they'll spend here? How come they haven't come yet? besides COVID.
1: <laughs> that's very good well um the day that uh, the timing that they've allotted to come back for our resurvey is two to three days they will do this consecutively they will do the cms condition level finding survey and then they will move directly into the validation and correction for our joint commission findings they have not come because of the pandemic uh, they have not come because they are uh, readjusting uh, their standard work around who's open who's at risk who's on the federal watch list who's on the state watch list and of course not in not jeopardizing their own workforce in order to come out and do surveys so they are right now prioritizing anybody who's in an open area that has um requires a new survey in order to become accredited and to open a hospital but everyone else um is on hold as they do an analysis of uh, they have a team that is that is actually going out to analyze um, each and every county and state where surveys are.
0: Okay, uh, Nilda. What I heard from our director of regulatory affairs is that we are ready. It may not be perfect, but we're ready. Accurate?
1: Yes.
0: Thank you, Nilda. I really appreciate it. I'm going to hold on my questions today in the interest of time, but you know, in your head, I'm going to always ask you for rank list your problem list. Right now, it's Joint Commission. I know. Darshan, uh, were you able to get, get in? Tanvir, can you speak for Darshan if
9: she can? She can't, Absolutely. I think, uh, Darshan is still having some audio trouble. Um, okay. so in the patient safety report, most notably, you know, we're begun a new fiscal year. So we have just preliminary data for the quarter. So we, uh, uh preliminary data for the first month. So hopefully we'll begin to have more statistically significant, interpretable data after the first quarter. The second uh, item to report back is that we had a robust discussion and closed session um, with our uh, appropriate sort of operational clinical leaders about a retained foreign object that was uh, discovered before the patient was extubated. Um, so that retained foreign object was retrieved before the extubation and the return of the patient. Um, and um, as you'll see in the report, there was some robust uh, systems analysis, um, which has led to, um, you know, really creating engineered uh, standard pauses for verbal agreement between the surgical team, critical junctures of the case, um, as well as implementation of enhanced safety communication tools such as uh, team step uh, training, which will involve not only staff providers but residents in the OR. Um, so that work um, um, uh, has commenced and we will monitor that here in our quality um, and professional services council to ensure that implementation occurs. And we'll give feedback uh, to this group and, and trustees on the progress of that. And um, finally, um, you'll find embedded in the report a timeline of some um, planned patient safety uh, activities for this year. That will be more formally introduced to you via our uh, quality assurance and performance improvement plan, which will come to the QPSC hopefully next month. The focuses will or FOCI will include um, our culture of safety, high reliability
0: and just culture. Thank you, Dr. Hussain. With well, that, we'll close item G, regulatory affairs and patient safety. Item H, we're going to skip through a little bit quickly. It's the TMM dashboard. Usually this is Annette Johnson's show. Apologies, Annette and uh, Tanvir. I will, I will ask you to kind of guide this. Uh, for those of you who read the packet, this, this is our True North metric dashboard. We've historically had 12 items on it. In the June meeting, we voted on 12 new TMM dashboard items. Those are not reflected in the current report. The current report is closing out last year. Um, I, so so the report's available for your review, but for the trustees in the room, I want to remind us about the 12 items that we landed on for our 2021. One was well-child visits. Next was acute observed to expected. Next was medium time uh, median time decision to admit to bed, avoidable days, QIP metrics, all cause 30 day readmits hospital acquired harms per 1000 safety alerts that's the percent of events that resulted in harm that's an e score or higher hcap scores the recommended recommend the practice score and and finally trying to get our hands up on diversity we're going to get a quarterly diversity by pillar report i know this is important to many people in this room so it's sorry it's important to all of us in this room and so those are be the 12 reports. We'll see those subsequently. I take it, Dr. Hussein, this was the last report on the old pillars? Yes. Okay. So with that, uh, we will close out, the, yeah. uh, we'll close out the TNM dashboard. Apologies, Annette. Next, uh, last, we'll go to planning calendar. The pla- pa- planning calendar is in the packet. We have a standard reporting form, no surprises to people. Our SBU next report should be behavioral health. I I, I just want to give advance notice. Uh, This would include to trustee Hernandez and to our CEO. Uh, We've previously talked about this, this nascent, this growing, uh, evolving heady committee, the health equity and diversity uh, committee. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it. We want to hear about the work, even if it's in, uh, it, it will always be incomplete, the work at its current status. So projecting out to
8: October, does that sound fair, Mr. Finley? Oh yeah, more than possible. In fact, I, I perhaps have uh, uh, mixed things up in my head. So we we were uh, we have a, actually an update that we're doing in the board meeting. So I okay that may have been an oversight in that and,
0: issue. and 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 actually that's okay. We can adapt as we go. But mm-hmm. hearing back from the heady committees and work is I think vital and essential.
4: So, um, I think, Dr. Uh, Bouquet, one of the things that we may want to just think a little bit about is there are different committees within, or, excuse me, different task forces within the committee. I always get this backwards. Yeah. And it's possible that you may want to hear from the task force that has the greatest line of sight around equity of care yeah um because some of the items i think uh or activities belong in hr because they're workforce related um so so we would like to potentially think a little bit about this and see which of the members we might want to invite to report out
0: my humble response trustee hernandez this is our committee not my committee so that (laughs) i look forward to that discussion with you trustee Chiquin and our ceo to help guide that
9: sure Mm
0: -hmm. fair yep with that we'll close out item i And we'll end uh, with item J, legal counsel, uh, uh, Mr. Moy. Yes, the uh, committee did meet in closed session. Uh, They reviewed the credential reports from the two medical staffs uh, and approved those
3: reports and took no other action.
0: Thank you. With that, we close item J. Uh, I'm in five minutes in the bonus. Apologies to all. Uh, I I, want to encourage everyone to continue on with their full board meeting, which I believe should open in about 10 minutes. I I, want to thank all the people who sat in on this dialogue. Uh, This is tough stuff. Um, I've once heard the mantra, if it's not a little uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. And I know that there was a lot of discomfort in the room. And I think I want to make sure that we have a psychologically safe place. To, to, to discuss our differences and then bear out the analysis with the data that we have. There's quant and qual to everything. Uh, decision-making, boy, is hard. It's hard stuff. But uh, I, I want to appreciate everyone's respectful contribution to the dialogue. And with that, I close the QPSC at plus five minutes. Thank you.